0: Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds On Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, You've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. I am about to introduce you to one of my favorite people. Mark Groves has been a dear friend of mine for years. I adore his warmth, his humor, his generosity, and his wisdom. And I know that you will too. Mark Groves is the founder of Create the Love and Mine, and he's the host of the Mark Groves podcast. He's a speaker, writer, motivator, creator, and collaborator. Mark's work bridges the academic and the human, inviting people to explore the good, the bad, the downright ugly, and the beautiful sides of connection. His purpose is to empower individuals to step into their power and transform the way they relate to themselves and others. An episode with Mark has been a long time coming, and I truly loved having him in this space. We tackled an awesome listener question together about rebuilding a connection with an ex-partner, And Mark had such wonderful insights about these kinds of tricky situations and how we can create a new chapter with integrity and care. I hope that you will take away something that is useful to you from our conversation and that you enjoy getting to know Mark. Hi, friend. Hi. (laughs) I am so glad that we are doing this. Thank you for being here.
1: I mean, really, the honor is all mine. You've been on mine three times, so, you know... I'm so excited that you started this podcast and be among such incredible guests. The world needs more of the message that you have and the and this isn't even a bias, although it is a bias which is relationships are the most important thing in our lives with our health, with the quality of our life, and we're not taught these tools until we are you know and, and until you know I'm sure schools are starting to do that, but way too few schools and and so what a beautiful thing that we can turn towards things like podcasts and Instagram and TikTok and all the different ways to learn. I mean, we didn't have that. When I was young, you didn't get to Google going through heartbreak. What do I do? Right. You just listen to sad music and thank God Adele didn't exist yet. <laughs> you know?
0: We had like, what would ours been? A voice to men, perhaps. Mine was
1: voice to men, end of the road. That was my yes. first like real breakup marinating song.
0: Mhm. You know, you were listing listing all of the things that we couldn't do back then when when our hearts hurt or when we were in a relationship that we wanted to just nourish and that we there are so many avenues now. And one that you have created recently is the Mind app. I remember you telling me a couple of years ago about this idea you had and like it's a thing. Like the Mind app is a thing. It's a place that we go that you and I go that our community of guest experts go every week and been such a fun project and such so fun to create a community of learners, right? And people who want to, to relate to themselves and each other with more care, more integrity, more awareness. It's been really fun. What do you want to say about the mind app?
1: I don't think you think about it when an idea, you know, you're ideating or you have a dream or a feeling. And I think that's true relationally too. You know, you you question, is there more to life? Is there more to this? Can I learn this? There was nothing and now there's something. And, and that's so true of every aspect. So I think, one, to just see evidence of what is possible being realized and, and considering to grow and expand and to be part of the creation of a beautiful space where not just people who speak about relational wellness and health can do that in a safe space and cultivate deeper intimacy with their communities, but also the communities themselves, the people who are really interested in in getting a deeper knowing. I mean, there's literally a series on every subject or an episode that someone can go learn in a video on demand library about anything. I mean, I think that's so cool. And it's not sort of lost in the sea of hashtags and other content and you know, we're as an app not deciding this is the thing you need to see. It's like you get to decide. And I think that's a big difference.
0: That really was your North Star as you were ideating and building this app is that it would be really truly led by the user. You're right that we can somebody can download the mind app join our community and start wherever they want to start, with a series on sex, with a series on relationship to money, with a series on, I did a whole series on body image in the context of relationship. Like there just has been, have you said, so many different precise micro slices of some aspect of self, of relationship, of family, of wellness, mindfulness. It's been pretty cool how quickly we've built this deep and wide library of on-demand and then of course the live sessions which are so fun to be able to communicate and connect with people in real time.
1: Yeah to think people are doing like live Peloton classes you know the idea that you can do live classes that are about personal expansion and and relational expansion it just makes my heart happy to think that we're part of something that's that's existing that's doing this and I, I you know in the sea of positivity that exists through social media you know social media inevitably connected to you and i podcasts and videos and there's so much opportunity and yet you know on platforms that are truly they monetize attention there is whenever profit is correlated to something like that there is a desire to keep people on platforms and that's why you see such a mental health cost of some of these platforms because they're really trying to monetize and broker the relationship between the person consuming the content and the person creating the content. And, you know, to be able to use technology in a way that doesn't do that is as a creator, as someone who speaks about the things I have certainly felt the impact of, of that being monetized, that your business can literally be taken in a second. And I think about that relationally, you know, Harriet Lerner, when she talks about how if you're not free to leave a relationship, you won't feel free to be yourself in one. And I think that same relationship exists on these platforms.
0: Yep. Okay. Well, I want to ask you the relational self-awareness question that I ask to all of the guest experts on the show. Are you ready for it?
1: I'm so ready.
0: So Mark, what is a growing edge that you are currently working on in one of your important relationships? And what has it been teaching you lately?
1: it's with Kylie, but I'd say it's with the world. It's with community. It's with family. It just is. And so for those of you listening, you're like, Kylie, I thought you broke up with her. We got back together. And and so we can maybe talk about that more later. You know, I remember reading years ago, that conflict is a deeper bridge to intimacy and understanding. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> like yeah. That's great. But I have defensiveness and I get reactive. I shut down. I didn't know how to move beyond that until I Begin to understand how to process the create more somatic space, how to do all that. And the edge is is being able to observe my reaction, being able to observe my response and constantly figure out how to deepen intimacy from conflict, how to transmute it in. Sounds great on paper. It's when you do it, it's one of the most amazing things in the world. Cause I found, for example, The healing of defensiveness, as one Gottman's talked about in their work on the Four Horsemen, is to practice saying things like, I can see some truth in what you're saying. Now, when you're normally defensive, saying, I can see some truth in what you're saying, sucks. It's not a great, it's like eating your own shoe when you say it in the middle of a conflict. (laughs) But what I found the first time I practiced that was that I was in a conversation I'd not been in before, at least as an adult, where I was now present in a conversation that I'd always left, that I'd always shut down from, that I'd always, right. Uh I think of a quote that I heard recently, I think it was Jonathan Haidt quoting his rabbi. And his rabbi said that when you move beyond the binary, what is found is a deeper truth and it's seemingly wiser than the first two. And I think that a lot about my conversations when I experience challenges in relationally with Kai or just in general, that even my own perspective is to be broadened and deepened by just understanding her perspective more. And that enriches the relationship. And I think what's kind of interesting that I'm just sort of playing with the edges of that is that there's something beautiful about returning to a sacred, non-judgmental space of one's own reactivity. And saying like there's beauty in the reactivity because it's to protect me, but there's also by surrendering to it or forgiving it or softening into it and having a different skill set like communication or a boundary, that there is also a a reverence for the relationship, that it is a space that we can navigate these things. And it just feels like everything becomes a little more sacred then.
0: No, I love it because there's, as I'm hearing you say it, it's like, getting to the point of saying like, there's a rise of defensiveness. And when we can even just get to that little bit of saying, I can see some truth in your perspective, just that much in beginning to practice that the whole landscape changes. And so it's like, all you have to do is get yourself to that place because then it changes how they're going to respond next, what you're going to notice inside of you next some layer of awareness is going to open next. So there's like a gentleness in it because it's like all you have to do is get yourself to that first level of a little bit of, of working with your defensiveness differently because then the landscape will change and you'll see another move and you can't see that move yet. And in fact, you don't have to see that move yet because all you have to do is get yourself to the point of the first kind of de-escalation or the first pivot. And then to like kind of trust and go from there, which can be really hard for those of us who have a whole history of playing out entire conversations inside (laughs) of our heads, you know, like filling in all the blanks before anything else can happen. So it takes some trust, but I love what you are guiding us towards, which is that some new dimension will open up. You'll experience your partner differently. Your partner will experience you differently. And then that begins to like take on a different like momentum or
1: rhythm of its own my life continues to change my life because I continue to have to learn how to do it more and more and more. As you said, you don't really have the schematic of what's after, you know, because you're kind of just working on that first algorithm. Like if I get to defensiveness and I take a right instead of a left, now I'm down a different road. And then you kind of come over the hill and your partner or whoever you're in dialogue with goes, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Because they never experienced (laughs) you doing that. And if it's a really ingrained pattern, and maybe they don't have as much relational self-awareness either, as you know, you speak about this too. They might do a sweet move to get us back into the pattern. I've been really blessed though, because at least in my experience being in relationship, my partner usually has more nervous system capacity than I have had in those moments. So it's kind of like I've been met with grace, which I really appreciate on the other side of that. I'm kind of like a shock, like, whoa, wait, you're here still and you're listening and you're asking me questions. Wait, what? What happens with that, too, is the acceptance that I need to be better. Because I I think in my own defensiveness, I was protecting unworthiness. So there's like a child in there who's like, wait, if we don't defend here, then we end up in a space of not enoughness. So let's defend here. And then you end up in the same repeated conversational patterns and you end up seemingly feeling not enough. But when you get to that space of acceptance, like I can be better, I can communicate better, I, I need to. And you realize that it doesn't define how you feel about yourself. It's actually in the expansion that you sort of make more deposits in work. So, yeah, it's a, gosh, isn't relationship just the most juicy (laughs) personal growth chasm? I think at least.
0: It 100% is. I had this little, this really little tiny one. Todd and I had a decision to make around renting a car to get to Michigan versus driving two cars. Just like one of these like stupid things that like every couple has to deal with, you know, so many of these like forks in the road that are so profoundly mundane and uninteresting. And I noticed myself, I mean, my knee jerk is, you know, I had a preference to do it one way and Todd had a preference to do it another way. And my knee jerk is just double down. It's still conscious for me. I have to walk myself into the pivot, like to consciously release the fingers of my hand to let go of the grip of my perspective, because it does not matter. Such an easy one for me to let go of my preference and to lean into his preference. It doesn't matter. And It's so good for our relationship for me just to be like, absolutely, let's do it that way. It's not a loss of self. It is, in fact, the bounty that within this marriage, there are multiple perspectives. And sometimes his is as good as mine, better than mine. But it is like I still have to consciously, you know, let go of it's all, you know, and it comes from the wounded little girl where I did feel when I was little, like it was all on me. So my go to Mm. knee jerk move is still hypervigilance, I have to figure it out. I don't have anybody else's input. So I don't know what to do when somebody else comes in with input that's as good or better than my own. It still is a conscious pivot, like, okay, yep, let's do it your way. That's totally fine.
1: Yeah. There's so much richness in relational dynamics because of course our partners tend to sort of like push the button that, Mm -hmm. I mean, why was it designed this way? You know, it's like... (laughs) But inevitably, if you want to get to deeper levels of intimacy and communication and connection, it requires the softening of these edges. And I totally love what you're saying, because I find myself in real time, most of the time, sometimes in hindsight, sort of releasing the grip on the need for there to be certainty. But in recreating the same relational patterns, all you do is figure out that how it's going to work out. It doesn't mean it's good. You know, it's often on the other side of some sort of transition or or different choice, is just like a totally different experience. And that's why I think relationships as a reflection, I honestly don't know a more potent vehicle for transformation. And it, that's true for me. And when I look back at my life, the most powerful transformative moments were usually relational pain, and or challenges, but generally pain, and often deep pain, loss, breakups, cheating, betrayal, all that kind of stuff. And What was true for me and is still true to this day is that love and connection matters enough to us, I believe, that we're willing to change the things that are seemingly unchangeable. We're willing, when we are ready, to eat that humble pie and say, I am going to change. I am going to figure this out. That's usually why we get sober. That's usually why we stop in a dysfunctional pattern and God, the healing that can be Facilitated from there is just so powerful.
0: Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you: Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafczyk and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. I had reached out to you about if there's anything in particular that's been tickling your fancy these days that we should hone in on in this episode. And I want to read you what you texted back to me. I was like, oh my God, this is the most Mark thing ever that your text is like completely just magnificent. You wrote back. That is that relationships and breakups are the gateway to our personal evolution, that they show us where we are stuck, where we need to liberate ourselves, and fear of repeating the past relationally has us living in it. Like that last sentence, I just couldn't let go of. The fear of repeating the past relationally has us living in it, that we're so sure that this moment is going to be like all the other moments. You know, when Todd and I are deciding how we're going to get ourselves and our family from here to Michigan, the little girl part of me is so sure that it's all on me, right? And and I'm so scared of feeling alone in decisions, feeling alone and overwhelmed that I confirm it. If I were to follow my urge to double down, insist on my way, I end up repeating the past, proving that I'm alone because he's going to eventually like throw up his hands and be like, oh my God, okay, fine, do it your way. In that moment, right? I end up confirming my fear that I don't have a partner, that I am alone. So it's like that fear of repeating the past is what keeps us living in it.
1: That has been such an area of fascination for me because I've lived it too. So, you know, you, in order to create a different relational outcome, you have to become a different person. You have to learn, you know, and I, I think what's interesting about wounds or pain or repeated patterns is that in the actual juiciness, well, that might even be the wrong word because if you're in it, you don't feel like it's juicy. But in the space of the pain is actually the new skill set is being invited to live the moment differently. If I'm afraid that everyone's going to leave me or cheat on me or lie or whatever it is, I'll often pick people who keep recreating that. I mean, that's um, it messes with your mind to think about. And I think when I touched grief on such a deep level, I started to really feel how much. Every time you love somebody, whenever you love deeper, whenever you open more, whenever you move past the defensiveness or whatever is the, the protective mechanism, you are also feeling what it would be like to lose somebody. It's kind of like as you live each moment, when you're present to it, there's also an acknowledgement that you're going to die. And so it's hard to even be fully in the moment sometimes because there's a sadness related to living that is I'm only like this moment will never be touched again. and. I think because of that, that is true relationally, and that I'm afraid that this is going to work out the same. And yet I don't actually live the richness of the moment. You know, it's like a weird paradox, you know, that the more I love you, the more I'm gonna be sad when I lose you. And so I'm not gonna love you as much. And I think of these like upper limits that we have relationally, that if I've ever felt like I have to carry the world or I'm too much or I'm not enough or whatever it is, then I'm going to constantly have whatever reactivity is to protect me from going beyond. It's so weird too, like as people, like we have such a hard time even letting ourselves win, you know, being enough, like finally being enough, finally getting <laughs> uh-huh. the win.
0: I feel like so much, I'm just, I'm like flashing on different moments in couples therapy. I feel like probably early in my career, a lot of my focus was on having a partner do something differently. like initiate a change differently.
1: Yeah.
0: And what I realize is that certainly is important, but it's as important to help the other partner land it because it's so easy to sabotage when you get the thing that you've said you wanted. It's really easy to poo-poo it, shift it, twist it, deflect it, diminish it. That part of it is as important, right? Like letting it be good, letting yourself receive it's an actual capacity grower, right? You have to have more capacity inside of you to like, let it be okay. And letting it be okay brings its own just set of challenges, right? If it's okay, then I must be enough. And if I'm enough, then I got to shut out these old stories. Yeah, it is that part of it is when we get the thing, we spend so much time complaining that our partner isn't and our partner doesn't. And when our partner starts to do it, it then requires us to just let that be good. Let that be okay.
1: That seems like the moment of adulting, doesn't it? Where you have to move from the vigilance or and and go into this sort of surrender or exhale. And my constant wound was that you don't choose me or like you don't fully choose me. And when I finally fully chose myself in the circumstances of not feeling fully chosen, there was such an exhale because I finally trusted myself when faced not being chosen. I'd always acquiesced or doormatted myself and stayed. And and then when I got to the other side, I was like, wow, that was it all along. (laughs) Like that was so simple. Like if you just had stood up for yourself. I think that's one of the things that we most often Struggle with is that we don't trust ourselves. You know, when someone says they're afraid of commitment, I used to think that was that they just don't believe they're worthy of it. And I think there's an element of that, you know, that my worthiness has to expand to hold the capacity for fully being chosen. But I think it's that we just don't trust love. Like we don't trust that when we get it, we'll be able to hold it. We don't trust that when we're in it, we'll be able to have our own backs. And that is Maybe the most powerful learning for me is learning how to have my own back. And as you were speaking about, you know, Todd is like, how do I be in relationship to someone else's needs with my own needs and honor my own needs and honor their needs? I mean, I know you talk about that in Loving Bravely, like there's your stuff and there's their stuff, and it makes our stuff. And keeping each part of that equation alive, as opposed to it just being our stuff and there is no individual anymore. There is uh, talk about an edge there too. Is for me is and just what I observe in people in general is how do I honor my own sovereignty and my partner's sovereignty? And that, I think it's Rilke who talks about how like love is essentially two solitudes bumping up against one another. He said it obviously more poetic than that. But when I read that, I remember thinking, wow, isn't that it? Like Ram Dass, you know, we're all just walking each other home.
0: Well, yeah. And not taking on too much responsibility for the other person's stuff. Right. We have to have our own backs and our own ability to not rock solid trust in our worthiness 100% of the time, but that we have pathways back to resting in our worthiness. Because otherwise, any moment becomes commentary on worthiness. Any moment of decision-making becomes commentary on our own worthiness. And that's just too much to ask a relationship to hold.
1: If our relationship status determines our worth, then we will avoid anything that might rock or dismantle that relational status. The irony though, being that the very conversations that might end relationships are generally the ones that deepen them too. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's also a strange paradox in a world that has taught us that we should be generally conflict avoidant when two people and the relationship itself can honor the truth above everything. Above the need to stay together, what it does is actually deepen the bond. And so I think that's an interesting thing, too, because you don't necessarily see that. You think of most parents when they fight, they actually repair behind the door, closed doors. So you actually Mm. don't even see a model of repair. I have a very vivid memory of my mom repairing with me after something. And I just remember how rich that moment was like, wow, my mom just apologized to me. And I can remember exactly what it was. And it shows you how important that is. And I know in the research, certainly that that shows itself a lot.
0: That's right. Yeah. And it's the part I think in a patriarchal you know, sort of notion of family, parents are above children. And if you are above somebody else, then you don't apologize to somebody. So we have this like sort of distorted idea about apology versus like a a deeply relational model where of course, my gosh, those times that we like, yeah, look in our kids' eyes, ask for a redo, apologize, ask for what that, what was that like for you? That is so important. Let's take all of this to this listener question. This listener question comes from Layla, who is in Miami, Florida, and who uses she, her pronouns. And she writes this, I want to rebuild my relationship with my ex. We both want to. We were together for 16 years. We have a daughter and we separated three years ago. We've done a lot of inner work individually, including therapy. We've had other relationships, et cetera. We have a great connection. We're best friends. We support each other. We live in different places, haven't had a romantic or sexual encounter so far, or even talked about the possibility of being a couple or moving back in, uh, moving in together again. How do I start this conversation? Do you recommend resources? Um, This is the first time in three years I've actually thought about us being together again. What stands out to you in Layla's question
1: for us? Well, what a beautiful question. I just think of the... uh... When Kylie and I got back together, I think of both the trepidation or the fear that was really present and also the excitement of what was possible. I think a lot of the times when we ask like, hey, should I get back together with my ex? My first thing that I would say to people is it shouldn't feel like you're going backwards. Like It shouldn't be like you have to stay the same or go back into your old relational patterns. It sounds like they've really cultivated a beautiful Layla. It sounds like you and your partner are your your ex and maybe future partner, um, really cultivated a a lovely friendship and a co-parenting. So like the basis or foundation sounds like it's really there. I, when I think about how do you initiate the conversation, I think it's the courageous leap. It sounds like you've already at least explored it on an unconscious or like nonverbal level. So, but I think at the beginning, it did say that they've talked about it or they both desire it.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Uh
1: So, I mean, what stands out to me is just the would be to consciously explore it of what ended our previous relationship, which I'm guessing they've already discussed, but important. What do they need to clear and what new relational agreements would they create? I, I think about one of my favorite quotes from you is that we'll have many marriages in our lifetime and sometimes to the same person. And I think this is a new iteration or a new version of this relationship can be born with the new versions of them.
0: Yeah. I love, I mean, I love everything that you're saying that it's not getting back together, but a moving forward together. So I think that's right. That it really does need to be like a progression. I, when I'm talking about this topic, I talk about this idea of like the power of refinding, you know, I'm thinking about Esther Perel's Mating in Captivity, where she talks about these two competing needs that we bring into relationship. We need security, that sense that I am deeply known and felt and seen. And we also have this need for novelty and surprise and mystery. And the goal of a long-term relationship is to find ways to kind of move between those needs, have, bring both those needs to one relationship. It's paradoxical. It's a sort of like dynamic, evolving process. But I think that when a couple has been separated for a while and they re-find each other, I think in that moment of refinding, they are like perfectly balanced at the fulcrum of familiarity and novelty in a way that I think is supercharged, it's electric, and I think it can fuel some impulsivity right? Because it's like, I know you, I know that smile. I, we've, you know, we've, I recognize your voice. I know our patterns, our jokes, our history, but you're also kind of a like stranger. Like you've been some places, you've done some things. I don't really know you. So there's a lot of charge in that reconnecting. And so I love that she has written this question in because it shows that she wants to be thoughtful and mindful versus rushing or just like riding that refinding energy.
1: Yeah. That edge, that fulcrum point you're talking about, that is a potent part of human connection, isn't it? When Kai and I returned, Kai aptly named the space between our 1.0 and 2.0, the sacred pause. And we did come back together quite slowly. You know, we had rules, sort of rules of engagement that were about honoring the unfolding in a way that maintained that fulcrum that you're talking about, that point of like mystery and not getting too intimate too soon and clearing the things that that were sort of left over from the previous relationship that needed the fears, the things that ended it, the things that, you know, there needed to be a new level of trust and communication cultivated in the coming back together. What an edge to live on. And I think, you know, as you said, it's, it's so easy to be captivated by the honeymoon sort of retaking away. And I think this is true for dating and relating in general, that it's often hard to stay in discernment because we're so excited about what's possible that we fall in love again with potential and possibility. And I, I think it's about still experiencing the elation of potential and possibility while being grounded in adult discernment. That's like, is this a fit? And a lot of our, I really wanted it to just, we're already back together. Like that was me sort of going. And she, Kai was also very much like, we're not. And we need to be, and I was like, oh yeah, that's true. That was my ed. Like we're not actually. And I need to make sure that this is a good fit for me too. And And that's that part where I don't think we often We're choosing, we're like waiting to be chosen. And I'm probably projecting that being my own relational experience. And when we put ourselves in that seat of I'm choosing this, is it a good fit? And just, ah, what an awesome possibility for Layla.
0: I love, you know, a a few minutes ago, you were talking about relation, like a new set of relational agreements and some kind of questions that we would want the two of them to talk through. And what I loved about the questions that you were posing of what happened in the 1.0 version of the relationship, what do we want different going forward? What agreements are going to work for us? What I love about the way you framed those, you used relational language versus the idea of somebody, you know, of Layla or her ex showing up and being like, how are you? going to be different. You know, what have you learned? Like that is it really it, for any couple that's going to be exploring a second chance or a second chapter, it really does need to be a relational process of keeping ourselves in the ring, inviting our potential repartner into the ring versus either being so eager to be chosen that all we're doing is sharing our insights and our growth and you know, let, let me prove to you that I'm different. Or you know, being back there with a clipboard and our arms folded, like, what are you going to do? How are you different? How have you grown? Right. So, either of those stances of either frenetically trying to prove ourselves or kind of dispassionately, you know, quizzing and assessing the other are going to keep us from being in a like deeply relational. Those two are important, but they aren't the sum total. Right? There has to be part of it. It's about what do we want together? Like, what is this relationship being built on? differently than the first time we built this relationship.
1: Yeah. I think if someone's doing that assessment, like what have you done? What have you changed? It just shows to me that there's likely uncommunicated or uh, the trust hasn't been rebuilt on whatever initially maybe created the fractures, you know, and You're right. Then all of a sudden the other person's trying to prove it and the other person's getting to decide and one person's in choice and the other one's trying to earn choice and you end up in the same similar pattern. So, uh, you know, as you're saying, like the coming out of it would be meeting each other eye to eye. You know, that we're both choosing this. What would each agreement we'd write down? What are the important values this new relationship needs to be based upon? How would we live those values? What will we do? What will be sort of the rules of how we communicate about things? I mean, learning how to communicate and navigate conflict, that's a, that's freaking art. You know, I remember first reading Imago Dialogue or the work from the Gottmans on that. And it's, I know a lot of it was originally based on how, Countries handle conflict, you know? So it's, right, <laughs> that's right. It's some
0: next level shit. <laughs> right. It's how we make right. peace between nations. Uh huh.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, and so it feels kind of clinical at first, but it's amazing how much it transforms your relationship. You learn how to listen and mirror and reflect back and empathize and, and yeah.
0: I was also thinking about, I would want Layla and her ex to really like bring the lens as they're looking at their, you know, this kind of rebuilding phase, and I wonder how this was for you and Kai, I would want them to be really like noticing and celebrating the shit out of stuff that's going differently. Like those new places they get to touch because they've worked so hard on their own. I want them to just like consciously notice what went differently this time around. In the therapy land, we call it alternative adaptive sequences. Like When the same fact pattern plays out differently because we've brought a new skill, because we know how to regulate ourselves and each other a bit better, and it goes differently than it would have, that's the stuff we have to like notice and celebrate and like land inside of us. Like, look at us, look at us being able to handle a moment that used to trip us up. We're handling it differently, more elegantly, more gracefully, more consciously, and really celebrate those moments that are different.
1: Oh, I love how you always bring it back to that reminder of celebrating, like letting them land the plane, as you said, and being able to celebrate that as a couple that you've done something differently and you're relating differently and you're in different patterns. Kind of did that. I remember one very specific one is because I didn't really feel fully chosen in relationship 1.0, there was always like this edge of she might go. And that was true. Like that was the experience of she might leave or need to end the relationship And one thing she constantly did, which I needed, was I'm not going anywhere. And for me, I think there was a lot more trust built up for her side when I was actually standing in my boundaries and declaring them and being very uh, honest about them. Then there was a deeper sense of trust. Like if I'm going to act upon my boundary, then there's a trust of my word. So yeah, I agree. There was a lot of celebration of that. Like If we noticed one another doing that thing, we'd say, thank you. Like that makes a big difference.
0: Okay. What about this one, which is, I suspect for Layla and her ex, they are going to have moments that will feel like 1.0, right? That kind of like, oh shit, this is feeling a lot like back then. I'm imagining what I would want to be whispering into their ears is just to like slow down and not panic. Because of course there are going to be moments that feel old, but that idea in a, in a sort of, second chance relationship is that it can get really scary, really fast. Like, oh my gosh, I knew we couldn't do it. Here we go. That's it. It was all a mirage. I knew we couldn't pull this off. You haven't
1: changed. You haven't
0: Mm changed. I was a fool.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So I would want them first and foremost to just notice that there's something that feels old and icky, but not panic. Noticing and not panicking are very different things. But tell tell me if that kind of how you and Kai navigated that part, if you don't mind.
1: Well, I think it was the acknowledgement of the sacred nature of that, that the relationship itself was such a what was different is we could turn towards that kind of stuff differently. That Layla and her ex can have old things come up. Well, what a beautiful thing that the relationship itself is also now safe enough that old things can come up. And that they can say like, oh, well, how do we love this part of our experience differently? How do we change this pattern that you start to become aware of your awareness about it? And I think when we oriented towards it with this lens of, wow, what a beautiful opportunity that old stuff can come up and be healed differently. And we can, what fuels 2.0 is is the actual integration of 1.0 with new skill sets. And like you, I would say don't hit the brakes, maybe hit the brakes so you can observe it. But it doesn't mean everything is over. It actually might be a great sign with a different level of awareness that a whole new paradigm is beginning and a whole new foundation is being laid. And no matter what relationship you're in, your old stuff that's unprocessed is going to get brought forward. You know, so the way to navigate it is to navigate it with a partner who's, you know, consciously aware and willing to navigate it. You can't do that all on your own. That's Facade. If your relationship, you believe that you can do the work of two, you can never. It's, it requires two willing and active participants.
0: We would want that to be Layla and her partners' foundational agreement. Is the moment one of us notices, right? Like the sort of whichever one of us notices it first, we, that we value as a couple bringing it forward. We value and and the commitment is: I will, I will sit with you in your observation. I will. work hard to regulate myself enough to be open to your feedback and that we'll look at it together. The moment that, because I may notice it before you, you may notice it before me, but that whichever one of us is there 1st we'll notify and bring it forward and that we'll work, we will address it together.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. That we could turn towards it together, shoulder to shoulder, as you say, and be able to navigate it as a team, as opposed to pointing like, that's your thing. That's you know, like, cause it's always ours, you know, generally, it's almost always ours. Um, I love what you're saying there. Mm-hmm.
0: And then the last thing I was thinking about is just wanting them to be clear about boundaries around what will they share and what will they not share around what they did or didn't do during their time apart right? That that the sort of like Ross and Rachel, we were on a break kind of a thing that I think so often gets couples into trouble. Like just that there, can they allow, can they know that there are going to be parts of their partner that they won't know, that they don't have to know. I think especially here in the US, we have a high value on transparency. And I worry, I feel a bit protective of each of them that I don't think that getting back together is contingent upon each of them bearing their souls and providing an itemized list of what they've done and not done during that time apart, but that they at least kind of talk together about how do we just allow that to be, that we had some experiences and whatever those experiences were, that got us to this moment with each other. So thank you for whatever those experiences were that got us back to here.
1: How hard can that be though, you know, as a couple to be able to say like, thank God you hooked up with that other person while we were apart. You know, it's interesting because we often want to change so much when we're experiencing insecurity. We want to change so much of our partner's past. And, you know, I always remind people as I remind myself that if you alter one thing, they might not be in front of you. And so... There is an element of gratitude that we have to have for whatever brings us where we are. And everything offers an opportunity to learn if we're willing to turn towards it with some form of introspection. I agree with you. There needs to be a boundary around what we're going to share. And is it useful? Like, is it useful for someone to know that? And is it our insecurity that wants to know it? And what do we really want to know? I think it's important that we ask ourselves, is it useful? Like, is it useful to know that thing? Is it an insecure part of me that wants to know that? And what am I really looking for? Like, what's the actual emotional need below the how many people did you date? What was it like? You know, all those kinds of questions, which, hey, as you know, humanly, of course, I wanted to ask those questions. We kind of touched the edge of them, but we didn't really dive deep into them because there was this like, what do you need to know to create more security? And also having boundaries around what was shareable and what was not and being able to ask, like, what's actually the insecurity? The insecurity is, are you going to actually love me? Are you going to choose me? You know, am I enough? And innately in their choice to engage in the dialogue is the evidence that they're interested and you're enough. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. I love all of what you said, including the part about like how those experiences are what led to this moment. Take any of those experiences away. And this moment isn't what's possible in this moment isn't possible in this same way. And yeah, just holding that both and of it is, of course, deeply human of us to feel insecure, you know, wanting to know. And this both end of like we can want to know and we can check in with our motivation about why do I really do I need to know what what's the part of me? That's craving that certainty or that assurance in that way. And how else, like what, by what other means might I feel really assured that we're in this together and that we're moving forward together?
1: Yeah. Like, what do you need to hear? What is it that you really need to hear right now? And I I find that's usually a repeatable statement that we probably need to hear a lot, especially in the initial parts where we're rebuilding trust because we're rebuilding trust and the rebuilding of trust requires Deep intention. It requires repair. It requires some transparency, you know, depending on what we're rebuilding about. I don't know. Layla, I, I'm excited about you guys. I'm excited. I want an update.
0: I do too. Layla, I, yep, we are, you know, I love, I mean, Todd and my story has a couple of second chances in it. Your story with Kai has. So we are here for the exploration of second chances. Love stories oftentimes have twists and turns that are just essential. So I am so glad also that she wrote this question, because I think it gave you and I a chance to explore some really important themes that I think are going to be useful to lots of listeners. Oh, all right, Mark. I just, every time I'm with you, I adore you just that much more. Thank you. Thank you for being here with me.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I love our conversations and just the tenderness and compassion that you approach both life and Relational dialogues with
0: so you know for maybe like the one to two people who have not yet heard of you who are listening to this show, where can what do you want people to know? What's the best place to dive in further, to get to know your work more deeply? Where's the best gateway into the world of Mark Groves?
1: Well, you know, on Create the Love on Instagram, I also have a Facebook page. I got a podcast called the Mark Groves Podcast, of which Dr. Ali here has been a guest many times.
0: Your podcast is killing it. It is so good and so popular and so beloved. Okay, but yes, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. A live testimonial. Yeah, Instagram, I've been touching TikTok. I've been seeing what it's like over there, right? So, you know, I'm feeling like i might probably the oldest person on TikTok, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I'll get some baggy jeans and I hear those are coming back. So I'm in for a TikTok. Uh, but yeah, those are all the ways you can find me.
0: Wonderful. Okay. And all of that will be in the show notes. All right. Thank you, Thanks Mark. Thanks so much
1: for having me. Mm-hmm. Mucho apreciado.
0: Thank you, Mark, for sharing your wisdom and compassion on today's episode. I loved this conversation, and I hope that it speaks to any listeners who are considering reconnection of any kind. If you want to hear more from Mark through his podcast, through the Mind app and more, you are going to find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin, Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you.